Welcome to Raw Roast, where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. I'm here today with uh, two of our pastors at Calvary, uh, Sean Winters, who's our senior pastor, and Ben Tybel, who's our engagement pastor. Gentlemen, one of the questions that I think is really important for us to address in our culture today is the question of identity. I think it's a question that people are asking, where do I find my identity? Uh, how do we even define I- identity? Uh, and then for us as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to find our identity first and foremost in Christ alone? So let's begin with the question, how do we actually define identity? Uh, how would you how do you understand identity? That's a great question, Tucker. And I think that um, I, I think we constantly struggle with that. We, we have a, a number of different things in our mind that we want to measure by. And, you know, if we're feeling good about one area, we can take, you know, a sense of confidence in our role as a, as a parent or we can take confidence in our role in the workplace or in, in some sort of friendship circle and maybe it's some achievement that we have. And so, you know, I think our identity is often we just grab kind of what makes us feel good in the moment or what we're feeling positive about. Um, I, I don't know. That would be an initial stab. Yeah, a couple of things I would add are the two words time and attention. So when I think about uh, identity, I, I think it's a heart, a deep heart and soul issue. But I think when it comes to how we are beginning to define who it is that we are as people, the way that that practically plays out, I think, is what receives uh, a, a good amount of our focus, you know, and our attention, but also then our time. Uh, so I, I think, yes, it, it also has to do with you know, what we feel, what we, I mean, it's, it's a really complex, you know, kind of thing for sure. But when you try to break down, well, how is it that I identify who I am? How is it that I define myself? It's often, it starts with by the things that we do or the things that we're invested in, you know, the things that are taking our time uh, or the things that have our focus in life. And then those things ultimately end up becoming, you know, a huge part of, our identity, how we see ourselves. Yeah, so there's an element of it's understanding ourselves in relation to the world around us. Uh, how do we understand and define ourselves in relation to our our friends and family and just the culture around us? And I think a big part of that is social media. How do you see social media impacting and uh, defining people's identities? Well, it is interesting, you know, as I – so I'm not a huge social media guy, but I have Instagram, Twitter – I don't get a lot of likes, but, you know, I, I like to follow people and kind of see what's going on. But those platforms are, are changing how they report stuff so that for a while you couldn't see how many people liked a particular post because people were getting too much good feeling or bad feeling out of the number of likes they had. And, and I would hear people talk about like, wow, I got so many likes or I didn't get enough likes. So all of a sudden that disappeared, which I think was really telling, you know, that, that it's such an issue that you – Social media is powerful. Um, I was talking to someone just the other day who said, I've, I've kind of stepped away from social media because it makes me feel terrible about who I am. And this was a grown woman with you know, a kid in college and another one graduating high school. and Good friend who is, I think, very, very solid in her personhood. Um, but it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, one of the ways it's powerful is the way that it can absorb a lot of your time you know, very easily, very quickly. There's an... You know, we don't, I don't know all the back end, right, of, of how these platforms are created. And, but I'm pretty sure they're created in a way that, that keep you, 
engaged in them, right? Yeah. It's not like they want to design these things so that you just pop on every once in a while and then pop off. Like they're meant so that people are using them and using yeah. them often. So th- there's an addictive quality to it. So it, it grabs a lot of your attention and your time. Uh, I, I don't, I think you, did you mention comparison? But I, I think comparison yeah, yeah. is, is huge. huge. So you're, you're looking at images, you're, you're seeing, you know, messages of, uh, different people, organizations, you know, you, all these different voices that you, that you're taking in, uh, that are, they're saying something to you about the world, about, and then I think, again, as it comes through the filter, as you take these things in, you can't help but be um, thinking about who you are in light of what you're seeing and yeah. what you're what you're hearing. So I think there's a there's just an element of before social media, we you know you had to pick up a newspaper to read the news. You know you had to flip on the television. Uh, these things weren't as accessible, and now because we all have it in our pockets, uh, it's just you know, it, it, it can become all-consuming and it's so readily available. Social media is one of those things that's forming our identities. Is there other things that we can consider that really forms our identity, who we are? I think what people say, what people tell us. So there's messages, again, that we're receiving. It, certainly, we're getting messages from, from everywhere, right? People in person, uh, also within social media, um, so it's it has a lot to do, I think, with what is told to us, um, but also what we don't hear. Oftentimes, I, I think you know, beginning from very very young, uh, there's an element of how we are shaped and how we are formed by. Uh, just the the verbal influences that we have around us, and not just verbal, but you know, the the behavioral influences, and so by what we're being told or not told, by uh, the people in our life that you know, our our parents, siblings, the people closest to us in life, and that I, th- I think from early on begins to shape how it is that we see ourselves, what what we're believing about who we are. So if those messages are largely uh, positive, you know, if they're affirming and, you know, if we're regularly being blessed and, and affirmed, I think that has a, um, you know, that has a, has a positive result in how that shapes how we see ourselves. And, and certainly the, um, you know, contrary to that, if, if we're not being affirmed or if that's lacking in our lives, or if we're being told the opposite, right, that getting messages like, you're worthless. You're you're no good, uh, which which seems crazy to me that that uh, could be, you know, a message that a, that a kid gets from um, from someone in their life. But it but it happens uh, all too often, right? But that has a, a a tremendous impact in how a young child grows into a young adult, which then grows into an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And in how they ultimately end up seeing themselves and what they believe about who they are as a person and who, and who they're not ultimately. I, I feel like I'm right in the middle of a microcosm of this because it's um, the graduation season here in Minnesota and the tradition of a grad party. And so we're spending our weekends at grad parties, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, the parents of a high school graduate, they throw a party and they have everyone over 
And uh, we were uh, at a grad party yesterday that was under an awesome tent and had great food. It was a view of a lake. It was, what a pristine setting. It was just beautiful. It was awesome. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is success. And this is great. You know, they had twin daughters, beautiful girls, did well in school. And, and, I, and I just thought about that. How do we measure success? And what did we talk about when we sat around the table? And what did we ooh and awe about? And, and fortunately, in my setting, our kids are part of a really good community, a Christian school setting. And there's a lot less conversation about, you know, wow, what a setting. And look at the houses behind us to, um, hey, your kids are good kids. They're, there's character there. Um, it wasn't their outward beauty, but the content of their heart that was the conversation. And, yeah, I just thought this is a really cool setting. And this is a really neat family. Um, this is a really good place to be right now. And the conversations were heartening. And, um, but, but it is a challenge constantly. Like, how do you measure success? And, you know, the example you gave, Ben, of what did that kid hear growing up? This is what success looks like. And either you are a success and it's, it can be real or it can be pretend, but it also can be you're a failure. Mm-hmm. And boy, that shapes who we are. Yeah. There's a really good book that I came across years ago, uh, written by Mark and Debbie Laser, mm-hmm. and it's called The Seven Desires. They, oh, yeah. they renamed it. It was Seven Desires of Every Heart, um, but it's called Seven Desires. And essentially in that book, they, they talk about uh, seven God-given desires that yeah. are placed in all of our hearts. And so from, from early on in life, you know, all the way throughout, we are going about essentially trying to get those desires met. And yeah. so there's active ways that we try to do that. And then there's, you know, uh, like more passive ways. You know, there's just ways that those needs yeah. just get met. And huge deficit if they aren't met. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so a, a couple of these, and I think they're, I would highly recommend the book, especially, you know, if you are struggling with identity or if you're trying to kind of dive into that, you know, that deep yeah. well of, of trying to un- better understand, you know, who you are. Uh, as a person, um, but a, a couple of these are: everybody has a desire to be heard and understood uh, in their life. Everyone has a desire to be affirmed. Um, everyone has a desire to be blessed, and it's an interesting distinction between those two. Affirmed is, you know, being told, uh, you know, being celebrated for something that you've done. Yeah, here's a strength I see. Here's yeah. a good character quality. Right. And blessed is more of this. You know, we are. It's a, this is about who you are yeah. as a person, not connected to what you, something you've done. So mm-hmm. blessing is it's similar, but but there's a there's a um, really important distinction there, right? Mm-hmm. If we're only ever affirmed but not blessed, uh, you know that could become an issue. We all have a need to be safe. Um, we all need uh, touch. Um, we we need this. We have this desire to feel chosen. Um, so anyway, I I think. In a lot of where they come from, and a lot of kind of what they're pulling from is, you know, I think family systems theory, or you know, just the family systems understanding of, you know, again from from very early on, we're deeply impacted by this by the system that we're a part of, and what we experience within that system as we grow through each stage of development. Um, you know, from a, a very young person to a to a growing young adult, and then in, into adulthood. So. Um, yeah, just really interesting stuff, and it, a big part of what 
and I'll kind of wrap this up in, you know, some self-reflection on how this was helpful for me. Part of how they write this this book and touch on these different desires is helping people understand when when we as we're growing up and as we're moving throughout life, when we're not getting one of these desires met, what are some of the ways that you have, uh, you know, as, as a person that you've attempted to try to get those needs met in a way that was unhealthy, essentially. And really the climax of the book is saying that these, these desires are meant to be ultimately met in God alone. And so when we are, you know, in a sense, going out and, and trying to get them met from, you know, from our wives or our husbands or our, or our friends or our parents, uh, that's going to be, um, you know, we're, we're not going to get what we're ultimately looking for, that that desire, you know, all of these desires have to ultimately be met in God the Father, the one who's created us. Yeah, that they can't really, they can't sustain the weight and of, of the expectation we put on them. Or, you right. know, if we're going to try to find our identity in our in our, our wives, our, our children, mm-hmm. work, that none of these things can sustain, can sustain that uh, right. uh, desire to ha- find our identity mm-hmm. in yep. them or those uh, places, those things. There's a great prayer in Ephesians 3 um, that I've often prayed for people that I've, you know, in my own family or people that I have been working with, caring for, counseling, that sort of thing. But it talks about the incredible love that God has for us and to understand that, which is un- understandable. But it begins with this great line. It says, I kneel, um, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I, and I just, I pause there, that there's something about the naming from heaven, that we get a name from God, that it's a part of who we are and it's an identity establishing statement at the beginning of this wonderful prayer about God and his power and his love and he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. But the starting point is that we have a name that we've received from God. And again and again in scripture, it establishes our identity in relation to God. It, it establishes our, our um, strength, our personhood, um, what's valuable, what, what's measured success um, that derives directly from our relationship with God. And, and I think that we've, you know, we've explored some of the real challenges to identity. But let's talk a little bit about how that relationship with God establishes our identity. A couple of verses, Sean, that come to mind. I was uh, looking at Jeremiah 24, 7 this morning. They shall be my people. I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Uh, Zechariah 8, 8. They shall be my people. I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. And then uh, the much-read book of Leviticus. <laughs> uh, I will walk among you. And be your God, and you shall be my people. So there's this great expectation in the Old Testament that God would be with his people. And you think back to Genesis uh, chapter 3, where God's walking uh, in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, He's with Adam and Eve uh, before casting them from his presence. But there's this expectation throughout Scripture that God would be with his people and present with them. And then, of course, we have Jesus, who... uh, uh, God incarnate comes and he's with his people and... um, calls 12 disciples to himself and then sends them out to proclaim the good news of the gospel and then does the same with us today that that, that God is 
God is with us in a, mm-hmm. in a very real way, um, fulfilling those promises that the prophets look forward to and the, the great expectation uh, that he would be with us. I think at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, after giving the command to make disciples, he says, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So the Gospel of Matthew begins with Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. It ends with Jesus being with us to the very end of the age. So this great expectation is finally fulfilled. And that we find our identity then as Christ followers, uh, first and foremost as Christ followers, and then being obedient to what Jesus says. Um, So I think that's a good place to begin, this Mm -hmm. idea of God walking with his people uh, in the person of Jesus, and, and then Jesus calling people to himself to make disciples. And there's a creative piece to those passages as well. We talk about the Imago Dei. So we're made in the image of God, and then God draws near. That he makes a people who says, you are my people. And, and so he formed them, he brought them, he created them as a, his particular people. And then he's near them and with them. And so it's this combination of the creation, it's, a, it's, it's who we are as persons, and then it's that relationship, the, the withness of God and the nearness of God that is kind of an ongoing, sustaining <laughs> encouragement, uh, blessing, that we're deeply known and dearly loved, which still kind of blow us away, right? And we have to be in God's Word or with God's people in order to be reminded of these things. Mm-hmm. So I love the examples you know, fr- from Scripture of God's truth about who who His people are. You know, mm-hmm. who who are we as children of God? And so when we think about the things again that shape identity, you know, where I, I think my encouragement would be. You know, even as a simple practice, is to potentially you know find find fifteen minutes, sit down, and begin to just think about what you know during a day, what gets my focus, what what gets my time during the day, and you know understanding that the, my feelings and you know even my my beliefs are going to follow what gets my focus, and so the importance of remembering and going to God's word and being reminded again of, of who we are as, as God's children, I think is so important. And I think even by doing that little practice of, you know, listing the things that get your time and your focus, the reality is you're going to see a list that's, there's going to be a lot of great things on that list. Once you create that list, you know, on, on the other side of each of these things that get time, your focus and your time, you could be thinking about, well, how much of my finite time and focus do I give to that particular thing in my life? Hmm. And so the, the reality could be that scripture shows up on that list. You know, um, your family shows up, your your job, hobbies, you know, really good things. But it could be a great way to ask the Holy Spirit to counsel you and help you, help convict you and lead you to, uh, you know, help you understand w- what part of that list potentially needs to be adjusted. Maybe there are some things that need to be completely taken off, but maybe there are just some adjustments that need to be made. Uh, And I think that's oftentimes the hardest thing for me is the list is filled with really good things. And so it's hard to say no to really good things. But if I'm not saying no to good things, then I can't say yes to the best things. Mm -hmm. 
and which you know again I would say is making sure we're spending time with uh, with God and in His Word. No, I, I love that. And um, as I was telling you on Instagram, this is how I identify. This is my list. Oh, I want, yeah, and I, I, I thought about this list a lot because <laughs> because I'm a runner and you got all sorts of time to think when you're running. So I, I, I said, hey, what would I print on a T-shirt to let people know the reason I'm not running very fast is because it's not at the top of the list. So here's the list. I'm a Christ follower, husband to Becky, dad of four kids, pastor, runner, and Jayhawk fan. So th- those are the things that I spend time doing, and those are the things that I prioritize. Now, I also like to make donuts, and I like to mow grass, but it didn't make the list. Um, but the problem, and what you challenged me to think through, Ben, is that I put Christ, I, and at the end, I wrote in that order. So Christ follower needs to be number one, mm-hmm. and if I do Christ following well, husband of Becky is actually too ahead of being a pastor. Hmm. Becky sometimes wonders about that. And, and so I need to make sure that the order is in that order. Yeah. And, um, you know, my Jayhawk fan in, in March, then the, the whole church wonders. Every, uh, everything gets flipped on its head <laughs> then, everything right? Everything gets flipped on its head. Um, but, but the, yeah, so it's good to have a list. I, I totally agree. And then we need to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. And then we need to refer back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think often, because how easy is it to, to have, um, to have that get out of whack at, at different times. And yeah. that's just a part of being human. It's a part of life. Your list, Sean, makes me think about, like, how do we know what our identity is or where we're finding our identity? And I think it's really, what, what do we talk about the most? It can be a really good way to determine that. And I think of, like, even some of my, some of my conversations with Aaliyah can be often all about work. Mm. And I think that's a good indicator that my list is out of balance uh, or, or my priorities are, are not right, if that's all I'm talking about is work. And so I think what, what we talk about the most can really be a good indicator of what, where we're finding our identity. Yeah. Um, and that, that list can be descriptive, but it also could be prescriptive. Yeah. Right? Like I, I think the practice of coming up with a list that Ben encourages is helpful. Yeah. Because it describes, but it also <clears throat> then prescribes, and you're going back, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I think I'm out of out of whack on my list here. You're listening to Raw Roast, where we're having a conversation today about identity. Where do we find our identity? How do we know what our identity is? And then as Christ followers, how do we find our identity uh, in Christ? And what does that mean practically? I, I do want to turn to that uh, topic of what, what does this look like practically in, in our own life as Christ followers? You know, I think as we uh, interact with people in our society, our neighbors, our friends, uh, People are going to be finding their identities in different places. What what does it look like to be a Christ follower and finding our identity in Christ alone, our primary identity in Christ alone, and how does that inform our other identities? Well, I really uh, enjoy reading the Psalms and and looking at the life of David. And David is a is a complicated person and a character that you know he is said to be a man after god's heart and yet some of his sins are the most public and and most offensive of those in the bible um and and yet he seems to come back to god again and again um you know in the midst of the conviction of sin he's creating me a clean heart you know my sin is against you god and i need your i need your forgiveness it is um to say that he, he looks and says god you're still on your throne when everything's going wrong, I'm going to hide my life in you. 
the upright will see your face, Psalm 11. Um, so I, I think it's this challenge for me to stay aware of God and try to continually come back to my definition of success and that that is determined not by the world, not by likes, not by even people, but the Word of God and God himself. And, and my eyes need to see God, and I need to see God's face seeing me. I love that. I, you know, I'm returning to Ephesians 1 often. I've, in, in my Bible here, I've made a list of some of the different things that Paul is, is saying in this first chapter, and, and, and it goes into the second chapter as well. But uh, he's the way that I'm interpreting it, uh, at least for the times that I return to it, uh, interpreting it as, um, you know, a statement in many ways of of my identity in Christ, and so I think taking making sure I'm taking the time to uh, to dwell on on these kinds of things. So from this first chapter, embracing living into the reality that that God has. Um, you know, again, by His grace, has made me holy. Mm-hmm. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed. I'm loved. I'm chosen. Faultless. I'm adopted. I'm an adopted son. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm united with Christ. I'm free. So these are. I mean, there's a lot to unpack around all of those things. But again, if I'm regularly allowing that to to define who it is that I am, there's a there's going to be. My hope, anyway, is that there's going to be a different way that I that I live my life, and a big part of you know at the end of first chapter in Ephesians, it also talks about the power that is available to us. Mm-hmm. And going back to our conversation, you know, last week about Holy Spirit and you know what difference might that make in in my life? Like, how do we know that the Spirit is living in us? And you know, there should be a difference, right, in our lives. So. I do, yeah, I think, again, practically, that there, there's going to... I want there to be some distinct ways that I'm taking risk in in my everyday life, in, in relationships. And again, those don't have to be... You know, I think sometimes when we think about risk for, for God, we, we might blow that way out of proportion or, you know, make it so big that we don't feel like we can take a step. But it could be as simple as, you know, again, offering to pray for a neighbor or it could be, you know, shifting a conversation, you know, in, into a realm of asking someone about their, you know, about purpose or meaning. And I know that's pretty deep, but um, I, I think there's all kinds of ways that, again, if w- we're living from, from a place of we're deeply communing with God, we have a, a, a strong understanding, you know, and, and conviction of, of who we are because of who God is and who sa- who he says that we are that we that will then overflow you know into our everyday life where we're going to be taking these steps of obedience these risks um and yeah I I think those are going to be we're going to see fruit from that in different ways I want to thank you as our listeners for for listening today. If you'd like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit calvarychurch.us. You can check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. We look forward to being with you again next Monday.